upstairs. I didn't, I didn't hold on. It was great. I, uh, I was just noticing as I was talking to Grace that tonight we have three songs, and they're three verses each. I don't believe I've ever done that before. So, Pastor, that'll give you some extra time to talk about. You don't need extra time? Oh, okay. I got you. Got you. Well, let's stand and greet one another in the name of the Lord. Let's do that right now. Okay. Sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life.
grace. Marvelous grace. Is that good? Oh, yeah. We're missing a page in the book, so we're having to improvise up here. infinite, matchless grace. Thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to die for us, that you sent him to come, Lord, that uh, with his death and resurrection that we might have salvation, that we might have hope, Father, as we look forward to uh, the future. Lord, we thank you for the grace that we there's no way we deserve all that you've given us and all you've blessed us with. We just thank you, Lord. We love you and we praise you. I pray that you would be with Brother Scott as he comes tonight. Bless him, Lord. Give him the words that we need to hear. We just thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Mike, that might be the shortest singing session we've had in six months. Y'all must be trying to get somewhere tonight. (laughs) Have mercy, I've got an hour to preach. Job chapter 13. Job chapter 13. I can back up and catch another chapter now. (laughs) I told my wife the other day going home, or before we, actually, we were going home before church. It was the day before on Saturday. I'm I'm collecting my thoughts as I said that. It sounded like we were leaving, going home from church in my mind for a minute. But we were on our way home on Saturday, and she said, what are you preaching on Sunday? And I said, well, I told her. And she said, well, that was a minute and a half. I said, have faith. (laughs) I'll stretch it a little bit between now and tomorrow. (laughs) She said, no, you can't do that in the morning. (laughs) I said, no, there's no way. (laughs) But uh, tonight we're going to talk about Job again. 
And I want to look at, at chapter 13. There were uh, several things as I was reading this week that, that did grasp my attention in the book of Job and, and were points uh, that were worth pondering about. I hope you came across some of those uh, times as well this week as you read the book of Job. Um, like, likely uh, the oldest book uh, written in the Bible. Of course, we start with Genesis because of the beginnings, and that sets the foundation. Of course, we know creation was before Job, but so that we, get, we grasp that. But uh, many scholars would say that it's the oldest book. And uh, we, we see that Job, just an amazing God of care, I mean, amazing man of character before a God of great character. We saw that this morning. When you look at Job's character, his character is just, I mean, amazing. It's like, okay, um, if, I, if I so far, as I'm reading, if I could be like a man in the Bible, of course, I certainly don't want to set my sights just on a man. I'm just, you really, let's, let's be real. We want to set our sights on Jesus. We want Him to be the author and perfecter of our faith. We want Him to be who we're targeting to live our lives like. If we're going to look at other people in the Bible as living examples to our life, we see Joseph. What an amazing man. I mean, every circumstance we find Joseph in, we're just like, wow, he, he really did that. He, he went from that situation to uh, glorifying God through his life. And I've got one sibling and boy, if she treated me anything like Joseph was treated, I'd be on a vengeance to get her. You know what I mean? And and here, here Joseph, I mean, he's like, at, at the end, I mean, he, he's broken. He's weeping. He, when, they, when they come, when he sees his, his, his uh, siblings again, he, and he serves so well. And, and we see him just sum it up in chapter 50, verse 20. What, what you meant was for evil. But God took it and made it good. And, and so much is life, that uh, so much is evil and intended for evil, but God, God can bring around these, these horrible circumstances of life and uh, with His hand in our life can make something. Uh, a, our test becomes a testimony. Our, our mess becomes a message. And it's just uh, it's amazing how God does that in our lives. But then we look at Job, and at least I don't know anybody that would sign up for what happened in Job's life to experience that kind of destruction. I mean, we're, we are self-preservationists. None of us are going to sign up and say, man, I'm, I hope God just rips and roars in my life, takes everything out of it, makes me just busted and disgusted and horrible. You know, I, nobody wants that. But when, what we do want, what I, I really see in Job's life, which is, uh, something that we should really look to to model is he was he was blameless he was upright he was fearful of God he was um, he was a man who turned from evil that that should be the desire of our life every day that we would find ourselves in that position saying I really want to be a person who is blameless before God. That I've lived my life in such a way. I'm not sinless. Uh, but I am in, in a life movement and, and walk and, and journey that is a, a direction that is blameless. And I'm seeking the Father. And we know, we, we were talking about this earlier today, a couple as they were leaving this morning. Scripture says that if we seek God, we'll find Him. And, and Job obviously obviously with his life, was seeking hard after God with all of his life. We see how he consecrated his kids, how he went before the Lord and offered sacrifices. After some conversation with some friends, we find Job in chapter 13. And I, and I really want to just focus in on just a few verses. And I want to begin in verse 20. So if you turn to Job chapter 13... I want to look at verse 20, if you will stand with me. And what I want to look at tonight is the certainty that we can have, the certainty that Job had in the Savior. Job 13, verse 20 says, Only two things do not do to me. Then I will not hide, then I will not hide, my, I will not hide from your face. Remove your hand from me and let not the dread of you terrify me. Then call, and I will answer, or let me speak, then reply to me. 
How many are my iniquities and sins? Make known to me my rebellion and my sin. Why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? Will you, see, will you cause a driven leaf to tremble or will you pursue the dry chaff? You will, for you, you write better things against me and make me to inherit the iniquities of my youth. You put my feet in the stocks and watch all my paths. You set a limit for the soles of my feet. While I am decaying like a rotten thing, like a garment that is moth-eaten. Father, as we have assembled before you this, this evening, God, we desire to hear a word from you. And we look into the life of Job, and there are so many things, God, that we can learn uh, through Job and, and through the conversation with his friends. And ultimately, God, with the way that you dealt with Job and how you, you are uh, the hero of this story. God, move in our hearts and teach us more about you. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice here, only two things do not do to me. There, there's two things that Job is asking, uh, and, and I want you to look, notice the desperate heart that Job has for God. The desperate heart. That Job has for God. He has a desperate heart for God. He is, he's in desperation. He's living a, a life that is just, it, it's been brutal in this last bit. He, he's experienced the lows that, the likes of which I've never experienced. Likely you've never experienced anything that resembles what Job has experienced in the last little bit. And uh, we, we see that he is desperate in his heart. And his heart is desperate for God. Uh, Job understands there, there, these two things would be just unbearable for him. And, and we see in this text where he talks about, uh, why do you hide your face? He, the, the, in, in desperation to God, he, he says, I, just, I couldn't handle it, God, if you hid your face from me. And, and I couldn't handle it, God, if you took your hand from me. Those are two things that, that Job highlights in, in the desperation of his heart, in conversation to God, is that God, don't, don't, don't take your face away from me and don't take your hand away from me. Those two things would be more than I could bear. And I, I just want to explore those for a moment because, because these two reveal so much about a complete understanding that Job has of God and one which you and I should gain of God. We, we should always want the face of God to look down upon us. And we should always want the hand of God to, to rest upon us. We, we should long for those two things. And, and in our lives, when, when we're living our life as, as Job, we see a man who is upright, a, a man who's blameless, a man who fears, reverentially fears God, and a man who is turning from evil. He, and if you're turning from evil, that means you're turning to the Father. So there's a, there's a movement in his life towards God. So we see that he, he said, I, I, just, I just couldn't handle it, God, if you were to take your eyes off of me, if, you're, if your face was turned from me and turned away from me. Now, I want you to think about what that symbolizes. As long as Job is living his life appropriately before the Father. As long as his walk is where it needs to be in step with the will of God. As long as Job is, is surrendered and, and laying his life before the Father, willing for God to make movement in his life to, to help transform him and change him and, and guide him along the way. As long as, as Job is, is open to these things happening in his life. Then, then Job knows that as he walks through his life, God can look upon him. It's when we or, or Job or, or anybody you know gets to the place where like, you know, I really don't care what God thinks. I, or, I'm not concerned about God. That I'm going to live my life however I'm going to live. And do whatever I desire to do. And, and that attitude, that, that position turns the face of God away from him. Like, God, God's like, man, I can't look upon that. God's not going to be in the presence of sin. God's not going to linger and look at sin. God's not going to be there. We, we, I don't want God looking upon my life of sin. 
I, I want God to look upon my life and be proud of me. And you want God to look upon your life and be proud of you. You want him, I, I mean, like a father on earth to look upon every element of my life and say, I'm proud of you. Or, or a parent or a friend or whoever to look upon your life and say, you know, the things that I see in your life are good. And I can look at that. that but there, there are people living their life that they hope nobody ever sees what they're doing. I mean, truly to have your, your life displayed before everybody, all your friends, I mean, that, that would terrify some people. I mean, like, if I could take your week, your month, your year, your life, and cast it on the screen, and it be played before all of us here today, certainly there would be areas of our life we would not want to be displayed before people. Well, I tell you, it's like I walked into a place yesterday and, and, and somebody made a comment. and they, Well, they were using some vulgar, vulgar language and uh, they were using profanities and they were just letting them fly. And turned around and looked and said, oh, preacher, sorry about that. I shouldn't have said that. That's my bad. I said, don't worry about it. Jesus was here long before I got here. Don't apologize to me. <laughs> you need to apologize to him. <laughs> and that so is the case. That our life is not just lit. Now, it should be lived in a way that we should be concerned that we're putting forth a good model before our peers. I, I want the people who are walking close to me to see good of me. I, I want my kids. Uh, no, I'm not perfect. And they know that. They can share the imperfections of my life. Uh, but I guarantee you this. My kids know me. My wife knows me. Uh, there are people that know me. My mama knows me. There's, there's people on earth that know me pretty well. i got dear friends that know me. And uh, I want them to see the same me all the time. I, I want them to know me. I want them to walk alongside me. And if they see something in me that's disappointing, I want them to tell me. Now, it's not always easy to hear, right? And, and sometimes it's not always an honest evaluation. Uh, maybe it's a perception, and perception is reality. But you want to hear those kinds of things. And, and, and it's in, in Job's life, in Job's situation, what he is saying is, I really want God to be able to look upon my life. I want the eyes of God to be on every aspect of my life. And we know I hope we know in this room tonight that God is looking at our life. We're never outside of His purview. He can always see what we're... He knows the intent of our heart. He knows the thought that's in our head before it ever, ever takes any shape or form. He knows it. In fact, if we're praying and, and we don't even know the words to pray, the Spirit of God knows what we're trying to say and can intercede for. So we, we've got a God that knows us more thoroughly and completely than we know ourselves. And, and we should long to live our lives in such a way that the face of God can look on our life and we can be clean and close to the Father. That's, that's the way it ought to be. And then the places in our life that are not clean and the places in life where we can't get close are the places we ought to get rid of. It ought to despise us. It ought to shame us. And we shouldn't live with shame because we've got a Savior. So we ought to lay it before the Savior. And we should want the Lord to look upon our life. Psalm 19:14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. I'm telling you, if the words of my mouth and the meditations that are in my heart are acceptable before God, the actions will follow. But if our, if our words are not acceptable, if our meditations are not acceptable, what are we allowing our minds to dwell on? Because as a man thinks, so a man goes. That, that which comes into the heart of man, what a, what a man allows to filter, what a woman allows to filter into their life, takes root and comes out. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Scripture says. So we, we realize that that which is in, out of the, and he's saying, let the words of my mouth, that which is coming out, the meditation of my heart, that which I'm dwelling on, let that be acceptable in your sight. My rock and my redeemer. That's what we should want. 
We, we also understand that 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us that everything we do should be before the whether, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything that we do, and that's what Job said, I want God to be in my life. I, I want Him to be able to look upon me. I could not bear the fact, Job's saying, that God were to look away from me because He can't look on my life. That's, that's telling to me. That's a great reminder to me. And I hope it's a great reminder to you in every aspect of your life. Whether it be in a conversation you're having with a friend. Whether it be in a business deal you're having on Monday. Whether it be in, in the way that you're treating the physical body, the temple of God. In the things that you take into it. Whatever it is, in the, in the life that you live, we should want to live where God's looking down upon us and saying, I'm, I'm proud of you, my dear child. I'm proud of you. We'd want the face of God to be on us. Job couldn't bear the fact that the face of God could not be on him. The second is the hand of God. In fact, if we, we see there in verse 21, he says that, you know, there's only two things do not do to me. And the second one there in verse 21, remove your hand from me. Job cannot bear the thought of the hand of God being removed from him. Job knows the value of being under the touch of God. He knows the value of God's hand being in his life. Job knows that everything that he has is because God has his hand on him and he's got a hedge around him and he's protecting him. So he understands the protective nature of God and how that is so crucial to his life. I bet you Job knew the minute that that protective covering was gone. You know, I so want to be under the toolage of God and under the touch of God that the moment that that were not to be there, I'd recognize it. You know what I mean? That's a good place to be. I, I hadn't always been there. I don't know about you. But I want to live my life. I want you to live your life. God wants you to live your life in such a way that you feel the very presence of God in your life. There is a recognized presence when God is in our life. When, when He is involved with our life, when, he is, when His touch is on us, when He's doing something through us we can't do ourselves... We, we can recognize the very presence of God. I've recognized the presence of God in a large part of the ministry God called me to. I recognize that if the hand of God not be upon me, it's not going to be good. It's not going to bring glory to Him. It's not going to have lasting effect. I, I have nothing to offer in myself that's going to change anything for eternity. But God, which has His hand upon me, can use me to do something for His glory. So we surrender our life to God. And that's what Job said. Man, I can't imagine being, uh, being in life and continuing through this life without the hand of God on me. He knows that God is a great protector. He also knows that He is a magnificent provider. And He's experienced the provision of God, the protection of God. And, and I would go a little bit further in saying that He's experienced the hand of love from God. That loving hand that has nurtured Him in His life. I had a, a, a guy, a seminary professor, he was telling us what it, he probably taught us more about raising kids than he ever taught us about the Bible. But I appreciated that. But one of the things he taught us was he said, he said, boys, he said, let me just tell you all something. He said, you're raising kids. How many of them make up their beds? None of us had kids that raised, I mean, that, that were making up their beds like they should. He said, I, my kid, I used to get so frustrated. He said, my kid never made up their bed. And my kids never did that. He said, and, and I, I, I talked, I sat my son down, and I said, look, I need, I need you to make your bed up. And I'm going to show you. And he walked in there and showed him how to make a bed up. He said, now, tomorrow, I, I'm going to want you to make your bed I want you to, I want you to honor your father, and I want you to bless me tomorrow and make your bed up. So the little tyke got up the next morning, he said, and he went over there and he made his bed up. He said, it was a, it was a mess. It was just a slap mess. It was nothing like he had showed him. 
He said he walked in the room and he had a moment in time where he contemplated how to respond. And he looked at his son in that moment. He said, that is the finest bed I've ever seen made in my life. He encouraged that young boy. He said, I never had to ask my son to make the bed again. Just had to feed him encouragement along the way. So he encouraged his son to, to make up the bed. And, and, he, and he taught us that. He, he taught us other things. He said, he, it's something he taught me. Of course, uh, my kids were a little bit older when I went to seminary. But he taught us, he said, boys, I want you to understand something. He said, uh, the Bible says, spare the rod, spoil the child. There's something in that for us. He said, you're going to have kids that are going to need correcting. And God is a God who corrects. And if we as the earthly father don't correct our children, then they'll never respect the heavenly father that brings correction. They need to understand that correction can come with love. He said, I want you to understand this. If you don't get anything else out of my class time, I want you to know this. He said, the hands that you hold, the, the hands that you see in front of your face are hands which are meant to love. He said, God didn't say, take your hands and, and, and tear your, your child's tail up. He said, take something else with love. And, and he said, the rod, take a rod. Now, Grandma used to go get a switch off a tree. Come on. Yeah, or some of you had to go pick your own. And you were like, I'm getting the littlest one I can. And boy, that thing didn't catch any air resistance. It would wear you out, right? So it, it, he said, you know, the hand is meant for love, but the rod is meant for discipline. So he told us that. I was like, that's a pretty cool concept. Because if, if I use my hands in, in, the, in the form of discipline, then I've, I've used the hands that are supposed to be used for love. Now, there was a whole lot of other things there. But that, that grasped, for me, that grasped something in my mind. And, and somebody's sitting out there, somebody's going to view this and say, Oh, boy, you just don't understand. You, you can take an instrument and use I understand you can take anything and use it inappropriately, whether it be your hands or be some other instrument of, of discipline. Anything can be done inappropriately and not in love and not with some boundaries, okay? We need, as parents, to recognize that we can break a spirit, too, in the process. So I, I say that just as a disclaimer. Y'all all right? Okay, good. Most of us are beyond raising little types anyhow. But, but in what I want you to see is that hand of love and how that impressed on my heart. God's hand is a hand of love. And, and Job's saying, I, mean, I could not bear the fact that God would look away from me. That, that he would, my life would be so disrespectable before the Lord. I'd be living in such a way that the, the God in heaven couldn't look down upon my life. And, and I also can't bear the thought that the God who loves me in heaven couldn't reach down and touch my life. So I want to keep my life in a place where God's face can be upon me. I want to keep my, my life in such a position so that the hand of God could remain upon me. So we see that in, in this, this text here. And uh, so that, that's, to, to me, I, I just see that desperate, that desperate heart that Job has for God, that, that heart of desperation. I, I can't imagine my life without the face of God. I can't imagine my life without the hand of God. He's also dependent. Notice the dependent heart that Job has for God. We, we see that here it says, then I'll call and you will answer. Or let me speak, then reply to me. Verse 22 tells us. How many are my iniquities and sins? Make known to me my rebellion and my sin. So we, we see that he's dependent upon God. He's got a, a dependent heart. Job, Job has a reverent fear for God, but he doesn't want that to turn into dread. Verse 21 said... Don't remove your hand from me, basically what he's saying there. And let not the dread of you terrify me. Job has a reverence for God. He, he is, he's very reverent towards God. He's, he, we see that in his heart. We understand that from the scriptures. But he, he doesn't want his walk with God to turn to dread. He, so we, we see he's dependent on God. He, he can't fathom that he would look upon God dreadfully. Now, you ever dreaded anything? Sure you have. 
I remember, oh, I remember, I used to dread tests in school. I did. I, I just worked myself into a tizzy. I didn't do well on tests. Uh, some of you professors out there, y'all love giving tests. And, and that, was the, that was fearful for me. I just I didn't do well. Thankfully, my kids do really well on tests. They, they've done great. I, I just didn't do well on tests. I, it, 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 I, I dread it. I also, for the longest time, dreaded a conversation that was controversial. If there was going to be controversy in it, I dreaded it. But I've come to realize I don't dread that anymore, okay? If there's controversy, I've found that the best way to deal with it is head on. Don't let it lie. I've I found out that nothing, nothing resolves itself. It just doesn't work out. We just don't get on unless we deal with it. So I, I, don't, I don't dread that anymore. I don't have any problem with that. But there, there are people that they dread that. They, there are certain things in their life they just dread. And uh, Job's saying, I don't want to dread God. I don't want my heart to get to a place where I dread being in His presence. I, I, I have a reverence for Him. So it, we, we don't want to dread Him. Because we we, a lot of times what happens with dreading something is we distance ourselves from it. Dreading leads to distance. And, and Job got that. He said, I, I, don't, I, don't want you, I don't want to get to a place in my life. Don't let me dread. I have the dread of you. I don't want that. I, I'm dependent upon you, so my dependency upon you can't have dread in it. I've, I've got great reverence for you, but I don't want to dread you. He, he goes on to say, then I'll call and you'll answer. Or let me speak and reply to me. See, Job enjoyed a relational conversation with God. Did you know that God's conversational? I mean, we see him in the garden talking to Adam and Eve. We see him conversing with people all through the text. God is a relational God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He created us and, and he brought us into a relationship. It's been marred by sin, yes. But God's redeemed that in, and for all those who are believers so we can have a relationship with him and, and we can converse with him we can call on him he says and he'll answer us he longs to answer us he longs to be in conversation with us we, we should spend a whole lot more time praying than we probably do I, I don't know how long you pray but let me just ask you this how much of your prayer is listening are you a pretty good talker or a pretty good listener I found that when I slow down and just listen, God speaks. But as long as I'm speaking, He'll just let me talk. It's cool to sit and listen to God. And let the how do we hear God? Did you know the Word of God, the Bible, speaks to us? As we read the Word of God, it's the Word of God. The the voice, the mouthpiece of God is communicated to us through His Word. So one form of God speaking is taking His Word and reading it. And then praying. I, I love praying the Word. We can talk to God about what He's talking to us about. This is so simple. We just take a passage of Scripture and when it speaks to our heart, we just say, Hey God, you're telling me something here. The Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all my heart. Lean not on my own understanding, but in all my ways acknowledge you, and you'll direct my path. I've been directing my path. I've been trying to figure this out, God. I'm not truly trusting in you. I'm trusting in me. So, Lord, I need you to work on my heart. I need you to work on my life. I need to be a person who trusts you more. So, Lord, help me trust you more. Help me not lean on my own understanding. It's so easy in this world to lean on my own understanding. But God, help me to lean on you. You see what I'm saying. I mean, we can talk to God about what he's talking to us about. Scripture's talking to us if we'll spend time in it. And, and Job knew that. Job knew the relational aspect of God. And he had a dependent nature on that. He was dependent upon God speaking to him. He could not fathom what it would be like to live life not hearing from God. So he didn't want his face to turn from him. He didn't want his hand to be pulled back from him. He wanted to talk to God. And Job, I think, was experiencing at this moment, it was a, a, a moment in time in his journey through life where he wasn't really hearing from God, but he was hearing from those other three guys. They had a lot to say, didn't they? Well, he, I, I'm, I just can't believe Job didn't look at them and just say, just hush and let God speak. I'm tired of hearing y'all. 
would y'all please leave? Y'all are not welcome in my house. <laughs> you know, they, they had it all figured out. Job was, Job was, he was a scoundrel in their minds. But here we see that Job wants to hear from God. He's dependent upon that relational aspect of hearing from God. You know, God's been silent before. 400 years. After the prophets, 400 years God didn't speak. He doesn't have to speak to us if, if we don't want to listen. I mean, how many times did, he, did they say it? I mean, thus saith the Lord. God said this, and they didn't hear it. They didn't want to hear it. I mean, if you don't want to hear God, and you close your ears to God, He doesn't have to speak. 400 years, He never said a word. I'm reminded of Jesus when the religious folks brought that woman to Him. She'd been caught in sin. They expected Jesus to respond. They, they were waiting. Oh, Jesus is going to get her. Get her. Watch this. Boys, let's put her right in front of him. See what she does then. What he does for her. Jesus was silent. What he did is stoop over and just drew a little in the sand. Enough said. Enough said. Then, then he did speak, yeah. But here, Job recognizes his defense dependency upon God communicating me. I'm dependent upon God speaking to me. I'm tell, I don't have a thing in the world to say coming Sunday if God doesn't speak to me. I don't, I don't have enough. You can't get, one person can't talk this much unless God's talking. So we, we, I am dependent upon the spirit of the living God to speak into my life through his word. And show me, direct me. I had somebody come to me. If I had it happen once in my, my time in preaching, I've had it happen a thousand times. Pastor, you'll never know what that meant to me today. It meant this, 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 and this. And I never would have guessed it. I mean, it was far left or far right from where I was shooting my bullet. You know what I mean? I was firing in this direction, but God used that text to intricately in their life lined all the circumstances up to speak a word in there but God I have to be in a position where God can speak through me and that's the same with you and it was the same with Job Job was dependent upon God and he was dependent upon the communication with God and Job recognized he sinned so he was dependent on God for the sin in his life he he says here in verse 23, how many are my iniquities and sins? I don't think he, I, I don't know. You could take this two ways. Job could be saying, oh, how many are there, God? Like, is there two, three, ten, two thousand? How many are there? I'm not sure. How many are there, God? Or he could have been saying, oh, man, how many are there? I mean, like, wow, I, I'm appalled at myself. You know, I'm ashamed. I'm disappointed. I'm Wow, I've let you down. How, how many are my sins and my iniquities? And, and we see that Job knew he was dependent upon God. He says to him in the second half of verse 23, Make known to me my rebellion and my sin. Here we see the maturity of Job. And I believe we see the maturity of every person when they can look at their life and stand before a holy God that they desire His face to be upon them. They desire His hand to be upon them. They desire and are dependent for the relationship of communication with Him to be able to say, God, I'm a sinner and I've disappointed you. Would you reveal to me truly, would you reveal to me the magnitude of my sin? Would, would you not let me be the only one sitting over here realizing that I'm doing this? Would you, would you show me my sinful heart and then deal with it with me as I deal with you? See, we're dealing with a righteous, holy God who is loving and compassionate and longing to right the wrong in our life. So we can go before God and say, God, show me that sin. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Burden me. Lord, I, I pray, and I've prayed this so many times. God, give me eyes to see sin in my life as you see sin in my life. Let me see it. 
Let me be totally disgusted by it. God, the second I sin, so burden my heart that I can't just lollygag around it. You know what I mean? Tiptoe around and say, well, it wasn't that big of a deal. Sin's a big deal. Sin's a really big deal. Any sin's a big deal. It drove Jesus to the cross on a hill called Calvary. And it drove nails deep into his hands and his feet. And it drove him to death. But God raised him from the death. Wow. See, Job was dependent upon God. He knew he had sin. And, and he was so dependent upon God, he, he said, uh, again, he said in verse 25, Will you cause a driven leaf to tremble, or will you pursue a dry chaff? He, he says here, he says, I, I don't want to be that. I'm dependent upon you. I'm reminded when I read that text, I'm reminded of the vine and the branches in John chapter 15. I am the vine. Jesus says, you are the branches. He that abides in me, I will abide in you. Now, that whole display reveals to us that nothing can come in the form of fruit. Nothing can come in the form of life-giving fruit apart from being connected to the vine. Jesus is saying to them, I am the source. He's already told the woman, well, I'm the living water. You drink of me, you'll thirst no more. He's saying to these boys that he had raised up in ministry, you stay connected to me. I'm connected to you. I'll be your source, and you'll never dry up and wither. But apart from me, You'll be nothing but wood, hay, and stubble. Nothing but kindling for fires. That's all you'll be because you'll be dried up. Be like that leaf. And, and Job's talking about that leaf. He said, well, you cause a, a driven leaf, one that's fallen off the tree, one that has had the obsidian layers formed, it's fallen to the ground, it's drying up. Will you, will you go after that? Will you, will you cause the driven leaf to tremble? I mean, will, will, will that happen? I don't want to be that driven leaf. I don't want to be that chaff, the part of the, the husk, the, the part that's useless. I, I don't want to be that. I, I don't want to be driven around by the wind and, and useless. I want to be something that's useful. And Job says, I'm dependent upon you, God, for that. Can we position our hearts there? I mean, honestly, folks, can we position our hearts where Job is, where he's desperate for God? Where he's desperate that the face of God would be upon him. Where he's desperate that the hand of God would be upon him. Every aspect of my life, God, I want you to be able to look into it. And, and, and when you see something in my life, I, I, I'm dependent upon you to correct that in my life. Because I want I want a regular communication with you. I, I want to be able to talk to you. I don't want to be dread. I don't want to dread a conversation with you. I want to keep short account with sin. I want to walk with you. I want to live with you. I want to, I want to communicate with you. I, I want to recognize my sin. I want you to reveal to me my sin. I want us to talk about it. I I don't want to be like this leaf that's dried up and driven away and trembling in the wind. I want to be a life in your presence with your face upon me, with your hand upon me. I want to live for you. Can you hear the cry of Job? And shouldn't that be the cry of us? Shouldn't it be that this week we look at God and say, God, I'm desperate for you. I'm desperate for you. I need you. Without you, God, I'm, I'm nothing. I need you. I can tell you this, folks. I've tried it alone. 31 years, I tried it. I'm desperate for Him. I need Him in my life every day. I'm not perfect at it, and you're not either. But I'm desperate for Him. I want His hand to be upon my life. I want His face to look down upon me. I want Him to walk with me. I want Him to walk with you. I want to communicate with Him. I want to keep the lines of communication open. I want to talk to Him about the sin that I know about. And I want Him to talk to me about the sin I don't know about. 
I don't want to turn from Him and be dried up off the vine, but I want to be connected to the source. Don't you want that for your life? With the desperate heart and a dependent heart, we'll find ourselves right there. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for this day. Thank You, God, for the book of Job and what it's teaching us. Lord, I pray that our hearts are turned in desperation this week for You. Lord, that we recognize our dependency upon You. Move in our hearts as You moved in Job's. Draw us to be the men and women You've called us to be and let us be a light to those that are around us. Father, I pray there would not be inconsistencies in our life that would um, disappoint You or distract others from seeing You. But God, You would clearly reveal to us how we can live completely for You in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great night. And I'll see you Wednesday.